In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me, Rock Thomas. How are you, my friend? Well, you know, I feel like I've been an underdog most of my life and sometimes still today, always trying to defy the odds and make a difference and get my unfair share of the market. But I love the fact that you are gunning for the underdog because there's a lot of people out there that need a little bit of encouragement. Amen, Rock. You are such a rock star, no pun intended, in many different realms. I mean, you started on a family farm in Canada. Now you have, I don't even know how many streams of income you have going in, like 93, something like that. 45, 45, 45, then 93, basically just, you know, crushed it in real estate in so many different realms. And I mean, it's just, you have the underdog story, which is so remarkable. So I always start off with the most loaded question humanly possible, which is what led you on your journey to where you are today? You know, growing up on a farm, I think, is one of the greatest gifts you can get because you learn to be very, very resourceful. The animals need to be fed, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or your birthday or whether you're sick or in the mood. And so you learn to push past, I think, what the many people would go, oh, I've got a cold, I'm not going to school. Uh, we didn't have that luxury. And when tools or things broke, we had to become very creative and use a stick around barbed wire and pull it because the pliers were broken. And, and so that mindset made me very entrepreneurial. Remember the very first time I was watching parents come out and watch their children ride. And it was kind of like, we felt the rich people from the city came out, called them city slickers. And the parents would lean against the, the fences watching their kids ride. And I thought, what could I do that's entrepreneurial? So convinced my parents to, you know, let me use their coffee machine. And then I uh, made some hot dogs and I would sell coffee and hot dogs. I was like 12 years old to the parents while they were waiting. And it was a hit. I started to make money. And I think that was really the beginning of the spirit of being a problem solver, looking for what was missing and then filling it in with a solution with a lot of enthusiasm and creativity. And, and that's what's led me to so many streams of income, because there are plenty of problems on the planet. And if you're looking for a creative way to provide a solution and you're passionately curious, which I am, it ends up leading to another business and another business. That's incredible. That's incredible. So after that first venture, <laughs> when you were selling these items, so tell me, how did it sort of translate into your adult life? Walk me through the journey of rock after you started that very first business. What came next? Well, you know, I always say that anytime you look at a result in your life, Pamela, you can trace it back to an action. So if you have, say, the bank account you want or the body you want or the relationship you want, you know, you took action, you were romantic, you were caring, you were loving, or you go to the gym and you work out, et cetera. You consistently add value in the marketplace and you have more money. So there's an action, but the action is always supported with a belief. And sometimes it's easier to say the opposite. So let's say somebody can't get themselves to get the body they want. Look at the action. They don't go to the gym. They snack on donuts 
And so the belief is not supporting the action supports the result. So I always look, what's the belief? The belief I had was that life is difficult. You have to work hard. That was ingrained to me on the farm. I witnessed it. I saw it. I had evidence of it. And I was told every day by my father, I'm preparing you for life. Life is difficult. So I went with these lenses into the world. And so I got jobs initially, like driving a taxi, waiting on tables, busboy, cleaning windows, anything that was hard work, because that's what I was looking for. And then after a while, I started to, to read some books and I started to realize that you could accumulate real estate and have those as additional sources of revenue. So I bought a couple of properties. In my late 20s, my dad got sick with cancer. And because I wanted his affection and his admiration and him telling me he was proud of me, I took a lot of time off, two years on and off, and went to Australia where he was, took care of him, helped him move his house, paid off some debts he had, et cetera. And by the time I got home, my marriage fell apart. I lost all of the real estate I had, and I got actually evicted from my apartment. It was like that, I let myself go that low trying to get my dad's love. I took my money to pay off his back taxes and different things. And he was great at making money, but he was really bad at managing it. And so I hit literally rock bottom and, you know, I spent some time, more time than I should have feeling sorry for myself. Mm. And eventually I, I, one day I said, I got to do something about it. And I walked into a real estate office and I, um, and I applied for, to get the license. Three months later, I had a license and I started working. I was really terrible for nine months because I wasn't coachable. They joked, you're like, Rock, you're the secret agent, right? We never see you. <laughs> Do you really work here? And uh, I didn't show up to the meetings because I was so embarrassed, Pamela, that I wouldn't know an answer or that somebody would say, Do you have a listing or have you sold something this week? I wouldn't have anything. I was so shamed that I would not go to the meetings. I would hide. I'd go in late at night and make my photocopies. And it was a tough nine months. I knocked on doors. I worked hard because that's what I was branded for. That's what I was raised, right? But I didn't have the scripts. I didn't have the dialogues. I didn't know how to handle objections. But I'd rather get rejected by a stranger that didn't know me than the community that I wanted love and respect from. And then one day, this guy from Remax came over and recruited me. And he said, I've heard that you're a hard worker. I've seen evidence of it but you got really bad tactics and I'd like to teach you some tactics. Mm. And I think you'd be really good. And I kind of looked at him doubtingly, like, how do you know? And, but that's their business, right? So long story short, he took me in and the next year I made 32 sales, then 45, then 65, then 99. And then I bought the company and he sold it to me. Had 94 agents. And in four years, I built it up to 275 agents. We sold, over a billion dollars a year in properties. It was the largest Remax in the province of Quebec in Canada. I broke every record. I had six outlets. Nobody had six. The next biggest one had two. And I found my wings. And it was really because this mentor taught me that you don't have to work hard. You can work really smart. You can work hard, but you can also work smart, right? You don't have to do it all on your own. You can surround yourself with people that can do the things that you don't do so well and that you can learn a skill. So I learned how to do public speaking, learn how to hold meetings, learned how to hire and fire and read financial statements. And, and so he taught me all that. And so I have now gone on and understand the power of mentorship because the problem with the education system today, Pam, is that when you get the education and you go out and you, you apply it, you're gonna hit 
some things that are new or different, or there's a change in a law, whatever it is. And most people, what do they do is they freeze, they stop, they buy their first property. It ends up having a foundation problem. They lose $20,000. They go back to driving a UPS truck. And because the nervous system is set up to avoid pain, they can't handle the charge of that pain. They go back to something small and safe because the security is so important. But the mentor, when you're out in the field, the mentor can go, no, you know what? That is not the greatest thing with that foundation like that, but it is fixable. It does happen. And by the way, you didn't do your due diligence on the building inspection the way you could have. You overlooked that. And that's why you're living with this. So you need to take responsibility for that, learn from this, and we'll get better than on the next one. And that encouragement and support is so crucial. And most people don't seek it out because the same reason I didn't, I was embarrassed to be around a mentor. I didn't want somebody to see how stupid I was, right? How inefficient I was, how scared I was. So people hide until they become successful, but that's the longest route to success. So this is the longest answer that I've given you for this one question, but I just wanted to lay the foundation of the importance of mentorship. Absolutely, Rock. Absolutely. And you know what I love is that you mentioned that that one mentor changed your life. That, totally. that one mentor changed your life. Like there's a whole, you know, and I tell people this all the time, success does not come. It's not self-made. There's like a million people behind that one successful person that made it happen. I too was once super shy. I was bullied. I mean, I had, you know, we all have our things, right? All of our things. But there's those people that come into your life, like your mentor, who just said, hey, man, it's okay. It's okay that you were that way, but let's take you to the next step. Let's learn these systems. This is new, which I love and adore because then you just ended up crushing it in real estate, which is fantastic. And so what, what happened after that, Rob? What was the next level in, in your yeah. life? So I did 10 years of that. I got curious during that period of time, how to optimize things. And that's when I started my real journey, a deep dive on personal development, went to Tony Robbins, got brought some of that back to my weekly meetings and saw people light up and activate themselves and brought 38 people to Tony Robbins. And then we just kept on growing and doing better and better and crushing goals and crushing the competition. Everybody wanted to come work for us. And the recruiting was easy because people that were making 80,000 were making out 140, 170. They used to drive a Toyota. Now they're driving a BMW convertible and the world of real estate small. So everybody started to see that when anybody that worked at Remax where I was, your life got better. You know, there were sales were going through the roof. This is like one guy for nine years, he had, you know, an on average three or four listings at any given time. And all of a sudden he had 20 and people are like seeing his signs everywhere. And they're like, what is going on with you? Right? So after 10 years of doing that, I'm a little bit of a restless soul. And I, I got a little bit burnt out with the same conversations, solving the same problem. So I decided to sell the business and I'd started speaking at that time, Pam. And I was going around the US in 2006, and I started to saw that there's a lot of brokerages were suffering. Agents couldn't make sales, agents were quitting. It was the beginning before 2008. Mm. So I went home and I thought, if I could sell my business now, I have a feeling something's coming. I don't know what, but I feel like something's coming. So mm. I sold my business 2007, about six months before the crash happened, uh, or late 2006, if I remember. And sold it for 4 million. I took a million dollars, put it in the stock market because I thought, well, I'm so good at everything. I'm just going to go into this other field and I'm going to crush it. So I went into this other field and it crushed me. I lost a million dollars. And so I did have good payments coming in. I spent two years down in Florida, basically retired with my son in a golf school. And then 
about three or four years after that, I still had a huge balance of sale on the sale of my property. She reneged on the balance of sale, feigned bankruptcy. Long story short, I took about a $1.3 million hit and I took all the assets back and then I opened up a Keller Williams. So then now I have a Keller Williams and I'm back to 200 agents again, biggest in the province again, right? Success leaves clues, so there's a pattern. And so we do that. And then I branched out to create these mastermind groups where the mentorship became much more accessible for the average individual. And we have people in different genres that are really good at things. And for the same reason I talked about before is information without application under observation is going to take longer, right? I'll say that again. Information without application under observation is going to take longer for you to have success. So I created basically an entrepreneurial school where we have people that are great with Airbnb, with writing books, with how do you want to sell products on Amazon, anybody that's in a genre that, that could accelerate success in today's world and help you become more financially free. We have mentors in those areas, family, multifamily, commercial, storage, industrial. So you, you're passionate about that then you can talk to one of the mentors that has a track record and that wants to give back and that can help you. And then we fortify that with the basic mindset because 80% of success comes down to your psychology, the way you see the world, the way you show up. And many people, Pamela, are living their life like I was. Life is difficult. Life, rich people are those other people. I don't understand real estate, so I guess I'll just do this job. Instead of being passionately curious and saying, if I hung around Pamela, what could I learn? What has she mastered, right? What is she really good at? And we've had this conversation offline before. If there was somebody that was very enthusiastic and very hungry and just said, Pamela, could I follow you around and, and get you coffee and pick up your dry cleaning for you just to hear the conversations you're having and see what you do? You would say yes, because you know the value of that, right? So I created a school that does just that. That's incredible, Rock. Oh my gosh. You have so many pieces to your story that are just absolutely fascinating. So say somebody's in that, you know, go back to the rock that was scared and didn't want to be in front of anyone that was afraid to do anything really, because the fear of rejection was just so big, right? So what helped you aside from that mentor? Like what would be some tips of advice that you would give based on your experience on breaking out of that shell? Because that's the hardest part, right? Success is 80% psychology. That's nuts. <laughs> that's nuts. What would be your advice there, Rock, for anybody who's well, maybe you, listening right now, who's kind of yeah. like, hey, I'm that person. <laughs> well, we're all that person at different levels, right? It doesn't stop, right? Different level, different devil. So it just is a different kind of problem or the way you see it. But you know, when my daughters were probably, say six and eight, maybe, I was teaching them to jump off the diving board in the pool. And the youngest one is fairly brave. And she had that kind of go for it attitude. But the other one was you know, she was very girly and she's just like, oh, and she was like, you know, a little scratch. Ow. And so she was just that way, right? She's very loving and she's an empath almost. So she got to the edge of the diving board and she hesitated and we tried to coach her over. No, you know, what if it is? And she was imagining all of the worst things. What if I hit my face? What if, I, what if the water is cold? What if this? What if that? And I think people live their life this way is that they spend most of their energy using their imagination for what they don't want to have happen and what they hope won't happen. And they focus on all the fear, doubt, and worry. So when you have a practice of saying yes 
to things that you know won't kill you, right? Jumping off the diving board, if you think about it, going to your logical part of your brain, you know, three feet, and you watch somebody else do it, your sister, then you know it's probably okay. Worst thing that can happen is you might get cold and I'm waiting right there to save her in case she loses her breath, right? So people don't think logically and then move forward. What they do is they let their emotions take control of them. They're like, well, what if I buy a piece of real estate and the market changes? And so the biggest piece is put yourself into an environment where people are gonna help you to, it's gonna sound simplistic, but to run your freaking brain. It's a software, right? And so I ask, often ask people, do you have a favorite quote or is there something that you say that makes you feel good? I like Winston Churchill's is success is not letting setbacks diminish your enthusiasm, right? And so people don't lose their imagination as they get older. As they lose their imagination, they become older. So our job, if we're going to live this full life, is to remain curious, is to remain open, is to try things and attach a meaning of learning instead of failure. There's no failure until you quit. That's it. Everything else is just feedback. So when you are around, find those quotes that excite you. There's no failure. There's only feedback. So you're just getting feedback. That client didn't like you. That client wasn't ready, right? If I go to Florida to sell winter tires right now, maybe my strategy is wrong. I keep on getting that feedback and all of a sudden they go, oh, I'm in the wrong state. It's the wrong time. Okay, right? So you got to have a mental kind of coach. You've got to be willing to do the personal development because they don't teach it in school and the principles of success never change. The tactics do, however. And so we teach the tactics, but having a morning routine and evening routine and everything else I teach, those things become the bookends to your mindset. And then when you get news, like let's say you get news that somebody wasn't delivering on a contract that you were supposed to have. And you find out that there was a lot of bait and switching going on. And there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And you know, need to sue those people, whatever the case may be. Is that good? Is it bad? Depends on how you look at it. Right. Exactly. Rock. Exactly. And it's all in the mindset too. It's all in the mindset shift and how you look at it. Right. So an experience like that, you could be like, oh my God, woe is me. Ugh, right. But then it's like, okay, well actually uh, what can we learn from this? How can we recover from this and move forward? It's not the end of the world. Yes. People like, what's the worst that can happen? If you truly ask yourself that question, really, like, what is the worst that can happen? And then your fear kind of eliminates because it's like my professor in college, he changed my life. You know, I took a creative process class and he literally was like, all right, whatever fear you have in your mind, let it go. He's like, because truly what's the worst that can happen? Oh, somebody's going to say no. <gasps> One hasn't no ever hurt anybody. You know what I mean? So I think it's fantastic, Rock. Everything that you mentioned, it's all it's all up here. And that's the crazy. Like it sounds so simplistic, but truly it is. And you know what, Pamela, to piggyback on that is you read a book and you get possibly a man or woman's experience for a lifetime, the distinctions, the thoughts, the processes. And I read a book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. And the simplistic thing he did is exactly what you just said, is when you're concerned about a situation, Think about what's the worst case scenario, right? Let's say that you are in a relationship and the person isn't showing up for you to meet you at the restaurant. Well, the worst case scenario is they got hit by a car and died. You know, that's maybe the worst case scenario. Well, can I live with that? Well, I can't do anything about it. 
I wasn't there. And if it's happened, it's happened. I would never want that to happen. But if, okay, and then work your way back. Okay, what would I do? I'm going to love the person, remember them, celebrate them, go to their funeral, support their family. Oh my God, I hope that doesn't happen. But then you work your way backwards. It's highly unlikely that that's happened. Great. Okay, well, what else? Well, maybe they ran late. Maybe their battery on their phone and, and you work your way through it. And eventually you realize that you actually can live with all the things that your brain is trying to just conjure up for you, but create all this uncertainty. You start to breathe differently, relax a little bit, and then you can move forward. Jumping off the diving board. That's how we got Veronica to jump off the diving board by saying, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, have you noticed that 95 or 99% of the things we make up in our mind, they don't even happen. How many yep. times I thought I was going to miss a flight and I'm running to my thing, ah, and then the flight's delayed and then everybody's sitting around going, rah, rah. I'm like, wow, I need me <laughs> to run, you know? So it's like we make these things up in our mind. And so you've got to really stand guard at the door of your mind and manage those pieces and see if they're really valuable or real. And as you do that, you realize that you must just laugh at most of the things that happen anyway. Right, exactly. It's all about mastering the mind. And speaking yes. of mastering the mind, Rock, how did you master your mind <laughs> to your levels of success? Because imagine like, you know, you started on a family farm, you used to feed 22 horses before your first. Mm -hmm. That's insane, Rock. And now here you are changing the world through your mentorship, through your coaching, through all of that and different streams of income and just changing lives and major impact throughout the world, which is fantastic. You know, so how did you master your mind? Lots of coaching, lots of mentorship, lots of reading. And I, you know, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, the survival in uh, Auschwitz. And so it's books like that, that started to create this idea that actually nothing has meaning at all. We're the ones that give it meaning right? You're stuck in traffic. One person could be sitting there going, finally, I get some time on my own to listen to my favorite music. Mm. Another person is like, this is ridiculous. The government sucks. And everybody's <laughs> sitting in their car, conjuring up their life's experience in that moment. It's okay. free. You could do whatever. You could pop in a Rock Thomas CD and listen to something and get motivated, right? You could meditate. You could practice your breathing. There's a million things you could do. But most people don't understand that those meanings are free. Right. They're free, right? In Landmark, they say that life is empty and meaningless until you show up. And so you wake up in the morning and you spill some coffee on your dress and now you're attaching a meaning to it. You get mm -hmm. in your car and your son drove it yesterday and left it with no gas in the tank and you gotta to get to a meeting. And you conjure up, my son's irresponsible, lacks respect. I can't believe it. Wait till I get home. Got your phone. And you just whip yourself into a frenzy. Maybe you could just say, you know what? When I was 19 years old, I probably would have done the same. And maybe, I'm, maybe this is an opportunity for me to be even a better parent, to help him understand that you always leave something better than the way you got it. Mm. So this is a great opportunity for me to be a better parent. I'm so grateful. Wow, that's awesome. Right. So you get these opportunities. So I've just become call it a meaning master. I'm just looking for the most empowering meaning to the events that occur in my life. Mm. And so I say nothing is meaning, but the meaning. So who decides? I decide the meaning I'm going to give it. You don't decide for me, Pam. I decide. If you tell me I hate your bald head and you look ugly, I got to decide whether I accept that or not. Not you. Right. Right. It is a muscle you develop. And so I've become very good at doing that and teaching other people to do it. 
And so constantly in my seminars, I, when you leave my seminar, I'll, I'll say to you, Pamela, I got a question for you. And you go, what, what rock? And I'll go, who decides? And you go, I decide. <laughs> I, I teach people, they decide all the time to be the victim, the yeah. hero, to allow life to happen through you. I have a lot of different things in my businesses, but you know what? People have not done what they said they're going to do, or, or I bought something and I, I didn't need it or whatever. I've just let so many of those things go. And I watch my businesses just flourish. I watch, I make silly returns on the stock market that I've never made before because I accept that as long as I'm in flow, as long as I just allow myself to be part of the universe, not fight it, try to control it, things happen more effortlessly. And so that's just been the way it is. I love it, Rock. I love it. I love your tips. It's fantastic. How you master the mind. You decide, truly. You decide what to give meaning in your own mind, which is fantastic. Now, question for you, Rock, because this is one of my favorite questions ever. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? A couple of things, and it's all around relationships. First mm -hmm. of all, relationships are variable. People will have good days and bad days, but they will also have good weeks and bad weeks. Like a whole week they're in a slump and you're expecting them to do something or be with you or they're sick or something and they're not holding up their part of the bargain. The more I look back, I realized I was, I was very unforgiving and judgmental of people. And I grew up with a very strict father, almost militant. So there was no excuses. And so I brought that into my world. And if people dropped the ball, didn't hold up their part of the deal or what have you, or they came in late at work and I was just a bit of a dick, quite honestly, for a big part of my life. And because it worked, because I had a lot of certainty and a lot of drive, I could push through things. But, you know, it was like a bull in a china shop. I, I damaged, I hurt people, right? People weren't, okay, maybe if I was in the military, I, I would, that would be inappropriate, right? Right. to hell, let's go, right? But, you know, in an office setting, it, it wasn't always appropriate. So that's the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I would say is that, most people have really good intentions, but I've taken a longer time to develop my relationships with people because it takes a little time for people to reveal their true nature in most cases. Mm. So I've slowed down and rushing into relationships. And then once in, I have a better feel of the landscape and I allow there to be variability and I work on developing long-term relationships. Love that, Rock. I love that. So now what's next in your world? Like what's going on in your world in the next six to 12 months? So the biggest thing I'm excited about right now is something called Men Fully Expressed. And I think that we live in a world where men have most of the time turned into teenage boys, turning their wives into their mothers, trying to please them and get their approval instead of being the man, the mature masculine man that we were designed to be, to protect the sacred feminine heart and just to take charge of the things we're supposed to take charge of. And there's no shame or blame, but women like yourself, right? You're a powerful woman. And sometimes when us men are around powerful decision-making, make it happen no matter what women, we become smaller and we go into our feminine energy and we don't hold our space. So I'm working with helping men understand some of the, the ways that we can respond to the world that is more homogenous now. It's not like men and women. It's, it's more like everybody is doing everything. Men are changing diapers. Men are pushing trolleys at the grocery store. Like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, men went to work and women, you know what sex is, went to the grocery stores and guys, the guys saw a guy in a grocery store. They're like, 
what do you, he must be single father or something, right? So bringing back the power to the men, because I think that a home with a strong centered man is a much better source of stability versus because the women, if there's not a strong man there, the women will step in and they will take the space because women are protectors and nesters. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend of mine who says his favorite employees to hire are single mothers mm -hmm. because they will make it happen no matter what. Ooh. Not yep. single fathers. Single fathers can be great, but they can also be selfish. So I've personally taken on this project of helping men become more clear in what it is for us to be better men for the women in our lives mm. and the ripple effect that that has in your business and in being a father and a son and all those sorts of things. So I've got a lot of personal development. I help people become millionaires in entrepreneurial school, but this I think is my best work because men push emotions down, Pam. We live five years less long than, than women do five years because we don't process our emotions. And right. so we become sick, right? Dis-ease in the body because of it. And so I'm helping men express, men fully expressed and have a safe space to say that they have an addiction or a habit or a problem. And when I say addiction, it could be workaholic because they don't feel loved at home and they don't wanna go home and change diapers of a one and a three-year-old. So they tell the wife that they go to work till eight o'clock at night when they don't. Not that they're doing it even intentionally or consciously. They just know that things aren't working. There's many layers to it, but that's a little bit my pet project. I've got two groups going and the first group signed up for a second session. 95% of them signed up. The work is epic. I think it's my best work. That's incredible, Rock. That's incredible. And now you've got to let everyone know where to find you so they can find you and your awesomeness and all these new programs and everything that you've got coming up. Easiest way is rockthomas.com or rock at rockthomas.com. Hit me up. Uh, myself or my team will respond to you and we'd love to be able to have the opportunity to discuss with you where you're at, see if there's anything that we can do to pour into your life. You're incredible, Rock. Thank you so much for being here today. It was such an honor. I just love your energy and everything that you're about. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here today and inspiring the world the way that you do. My pleasure. Remember, say yes and figure it out later. Amen. Thank you, Rock. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode. Oh,